Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Medium Angelo, joined by Mad Mike Kelleher. Hey, Mikey, how you doing? I'm mad. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey, we got a great show tonight. We have an all-star panel. This is, uh, it almost didn't happen, I have to tell everyone, in full disclosure. Mike is a computer idiot, and uh, oh. so we're smarting him up a bit. All right, thank you. Uh, well, now I have uh, a really, really interesting show. Uh, those of you who asked for it, you've got it. This is part two of Sal Carrente, Bruno Sammartino, the autobiography of wrestling's living legend. He wrote the book. He lived the book and spent time. By the way, Sal, are you there? Sal? Sal, you with me? Now Sal disappeared. Hold on. All right. Well, I know I've got Davey and JJ here. Well, Sal wrote uh, wrote the book, and as I said, he lived the book. Uh, it's the only authorized autobiography of Bruno San Martino with Bruno's cooperation. And uh, if you don't have it, get it. It is available. It's it will always be available, according to Sal. on Amazon right now. J.J. Dillon, are you with me, my friend? J.J. J.J. Yes, okay, there we go. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Here he All is. Right. All right. J.J. Dillon. Anything electronic. I pushed the wrong button. I, I, I'm, I'm good now. I'm good to go. I won't touch anything. That way I won't screw it up. There you go. All right. So J.J., I, I got a buddy, buddy of yours with me, uh, Davey O'Hannon. Say hi, Davey. Hey. Say hi, Davey. Oh, I mean, hey, James, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. We just talked this week. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah, you know, it's funny. We, Davey and I, uh, had careers that basically mirrored each other. All the places that we went, from the Maritimes in Canada to, to Amarillo to you name it. The only thing is that that we were never the same place at the same time. He was always That's there at sure. a different time. So after all these years, when we finally got to got you know hooked up and and uh, and you know launched our friendship. You know, when we would start talking, we, you know, we knew so many of the same people because we had been all the same places. We had just never been there at the same time. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's and, and I'll tell you something else. You know, I was uh, like a lot of us did. I started off as a as a true blue wrestling fan, and uh, not to embarrass JJ, but the very first person star in my eyes that I got to actually speak to, exchange a conversation, short as it was, with was a referee named James Morrison. Uh-huh. And, and yes. I worked up the nerve. I probably was uh, uh, 14 years old or 15, whatever it was, uh, and, and J.J. was a referee. And this was in a place called the Newark Armory. And, yeah. Uh, J.J.'s daughter had just been born, and I read that someplace, probably one of the magazines. And I walked up to him, 
Uh, he was in the corner getting ready for a match, and uh, I congratulated him on the birth of his daughter. And you know, he said, "He said, hey, thanks, kid." And we just said <laughs> a few uh, incidental words. But listen, I went to school. Uh, two days later, saying to people, hey, yeah, I know that guy. That, yeah, I know him really well. That was a big <laughs> deal for me because being a wrestling fan, uh, people like J.J. Uh, and and the wrestlers were bigger than life. They were oh larger God, than life. Remember? So, yeah. Yeah, and, and, then, and then we feel like J.J. just said, you know, our, our careers, you know, I certainly can't put myself in the same department as J.J. Dillon, but... Uh, we had so many parallels. It was great, uh, and and the the outcome of all of this is, uh, I'm so fortunate to have a a, a, a friend uh, named James Morrison because he's really special. Oh, and the, and the feeling is mutual with me too. Uh, uh, well, Davy, you. Davy, you're uh, you're someone very special to me too. And the interesting thing, too, guys, is that back in the day when you guys began and uh, and formed friendships and acquaintances. They lasted a lifetime. I would be, I, I would, I would say, I'd be hard pressed to find any two or three guys today that are actually friends for more than a couple of two or three years. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That, that's true. And the, but and the one common denominator from the very first time we met was we each had a mutual uh, friendship and and really admiration for Bruno Sammartino. So yeah, well, even no even from the first time we met, the we, you know, we could JJ talk uh, about Bruno forever. Oh JJ, I tell you what, we're going to talk about Bruno a lot tonight. You know, we had um, earlier in the week. I put out uh, uh, a question to listeners and viewers of the show. I said, "Have you got any questions you want to ask JJ Dillon or Davey O'Hannon?" Send them in to us. And it's funny because the first question that we got actually comes from a friend of Sal Carrenti in Florida named Benny Scala. And I, I don't know if you know that name, but Benny writes, Mr. Dillon. I would venture to say that even the fairly knowledgeable wrestling fan wouldn't connect you and Bruno Sammartino. But there was a long-standing friendship between the two of you. Can you describe how the two of you became interconnected? Well, I uh, attended college uh, in Reading, Pennsylvania, Albright College, and I uh, was there from 60, and I graduated in 64. And in 1962, uh, I, I'd been hanging around the, the matches in eastern Pennsylvania New and New Jersey, and... Uh, they used to do a weekly television studio show in Philadelphia. On they tape it on Wednesday nights. It was an hour show for Ray Fed for Ray Fabiani that had the promotion, and it was at the studio on Walnut Street in the basement, and that would air live on Saturday. And so uh, the guy that that's, that that the ring was actually stored in the in the basement of the studio, and the guy that put put the ring up was. Uh, was a guy in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is where I went to college. And somehow we met somewhere in an event, and he told me that he would go down there Wednesdays and, and set the ring up for TV. And so I said, well, if you ever need a hand, I would be happy to make the trip with you and, and help you. And so that that was the beginning of that friendship. And so every Wednesday we would go down to Philly during the day. We'd get the ring out of storage, and it was a, they had a small 
theater in the basement of the NBC uh, studio. It, it was like a movie theater. The the seats yeah. started from the back and swept down, and there was a a, a, a small stage uh, at the front, and they would set the ring up uh, right up against the ed, ed, edge of the stage, and it was it was really a perfect setting for for televised wrestling. And so I went down there, and I would help him set it up, and uh, and the deal was well. You know, you wear a white T-shirt, I'll wear a white T-shirt, and you take the ring jackets from one corner, I'll take it from another. And, oh, okay, great. And that was a big deal then. You know, my my fraternity brothers in college would uh, would see me for a few seconds on TV. And they, oh, you know, that was my my uh, thir- 30 seconds of, of fame before every match. And then... Instant over. <laughs> instant over. And then, and then I, you know, I got to, I got to know the guys... Uh, uh, you know, uh, Gorilla Monsoon and and the and the other guys. And what happened was, one week, because uh, they had a, a, a commission set up in Pennsylvania. That was the referees were all commission guys, and a lot of them it sure. was a it was a perk that they weren't necessarily wrestling fans. But you know, it was like somebody said, "Well, you know, we'll we'll sign you to the uh, matches at the at the convention hall or the." or the arena and back in those days this is uh wow a long time ago that the, the referees would get paid a hundred dollars well a hundred dollars in those days was a lot of money wow. oh and, god sure yeah so uh but they 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 weren't all necessarily wrestling fans and what started was uh when you're running you know weekly or run running monthly shows uh, at the uh, at the convention hall or the philly arena the you know they would they would need to have return matches and what have you and sometimes the the uh, you know you had to have a controversial finish that maybe the the fans uh, would get all riled up about and the other referees that were not wrestling fans they liked to referee when all they had to do was go and just be able to get down and count one two three and 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 collect their hundred dollars but anytime there was uh, discussion about something in the in the match that was going to be controversial that would get the fans riled up boy they would all slide down in their seats like uh yeah, yeah. and well, so you know it's, jj it's, it's funny because um uh, in reading your story you know and knowing a little bit about you know because you and i met in october i should tell people uh we uh, we met at um dog pro wrestling uh, in october uh and um of course, for Jaden Zirconium. Um, but I should tell people that your story, if you read it just on the surface, you're the most unlikely guy in the world to get into the wrestling business. You were, first of all, you were a, a bit older than a lot of the guys. Uh, you were uh, a, a college student at the time, certainly a lot smarter than most of the guys. But your aspirations, as I read it, were really your love of baseball. How the hell did you find wrestling, bro? Well, baseball was my was my major passion, and I was a huge Brooklyn Dodger fan. Duke Snyder was my idol. And in oh, 19, yeah. 1958, the Dodgers and the and the New York Giants up and relocated on the West Coast. And so back in those days, this is before cable television and what have you, that uh, I would get up in the morning and, and, and get the Trenton paper to get the line score from the West Coast 
and because of the uh, this is before you know internet and and so forth that they would have the line score from the uh, Dodger game in Los Angeles, but they, it would only be up to like the third inning, and then they would have to go to press, and that's all it would be there. So it was that's easy. Funny. It was easy for me to you know, kind of have my interest in baseball kind of uh, take a back seat. And it was right about that time that I really discovered pro wrestling. And the first guy that, uh, that I, that I befriended was the original zebra kid, George Bolas. And there's a name, there's a name. And he, and George, it was a, it was a crazy thing. I mean, I was a fan. And so I knew that the zebra kid was George Bolas and they used to do a studio TV show on Walnut street and the, it was a one way street. And then across the street, you would walk right down the hill and there was an underground parking and the cars could come out the other side, which would be one street over. And, and then it was one way, the opposite direction. So I, you know, I wasn't being a, a, a smart ass, but I knew the zebra kid was George Bolas and he came out after the matches. I'm waiting outside the, the studio and I said, good evening, Mr. Bolas. And he, <laughs> he just kept walking. Like he didn't, he didn't flinch. He didn't acknowledge. And, and I wasn't being a wise guy. I just, that's, I knew who that's who it was and I was being respectful. So sure. he goes down the street. And so I ran around the block knowing that he had to come out, he had to come out and I had his mask on and he had to come out the other side and <laughs> to, to leave uh, the, the parking garage. Well, he's thinking, okay, he got in his car. He could take the mask off. He's pulling out. And so he had to pull up and you had to wait for traffic. And there I'm standing right as it comes up. <laughs> he had to down. He's looking and when he looks the other way. I said, good evening, Mr. Bolas. And well, instead, good. <laughs> it's, instead of him getting Funny. angry, it, it kind of broke the ice because I didn't do it in a disrespectful way. And it was yeah. the beginning of a, of a friendship where he later uh, corresponded with me. But he was, he was big in Europe, especially in England. And he yep. would correspond with, correspond with me. Uh, and I, in the correspondence, I told him, you know, that my dream was to be a wrestler someday myself. And it and it it started with me being a referee that was again by accident that uh, at the TV studio one time the because the commission assigned the referees and they would get they got they had a bad blizzard and I went down there early with the guy to set the ring up so we were already there when the bulk of the storm hit and enough guys enough of the wrestlers that lived right across the the river in Paulsboro you know it was short enough that they could get over there. And there was enough wrestlers to put a show together, but none of the commission referees showed up. So yeah. they're, they're ready to do the show. They said, well, we got no referee. And they're looking around. What are we going to do? And they instinctively all looked at me and they, and somebody said, Oh, you, can you referee? I said, uh, I've been watching wrestling. I, I, <laughs> I said, yeah, yes. <laughs> he gave me a strike. Yeah. And, I went on TV and, and I, because I was the only referee, I did the whole hour. And the only thing that they told me was don't walk in, walk three sides of the ring and then <laughs> retrace your step. Do not walk across the, between the hard camera and the ring. We don't want to ever see your butt walking across there. Yes, sir. I, you know, I understood. I understood. So I did the whole yeah. hour and, and never got out of place. I knew right where I was to be. And, 
they didn't really smarten me up, but I was smart without being smart. And yeah. so at the end of the hour, the all the wrestlers said, damn, you know, you're really good. And so they talked to Ray Fabiani, and next thing I know, I'm he got me on the uh, list for the athletic commissioners, and that began uh, that began my uh, my career as a referee. And then I refereed for oh, I was like I'm now I'm not my second year of college, so I refereed for like oh man, me eight years. And yeah, along, the way, along the way, I uh, you know befriended some of the guys, and uh, I was 28 years old when I uh, I got I I refereed. And I went to Pittsburgh. I, after I, I got out of college, I had a job with a, with a management company and refereed around Pittsburgh because I had known Bruno from all those years. Sure. Oh, Bruno, and I, I, they had me in Youngstown, Ohio. And I met the Sheik, uh, Eddie Farhat, and I ended up out there because he, he had come in east for a series of matches with Bruno. And I just told him in the dressing room, I said, well, you know, I, my dream really was to be a wrestler one day. And, and the Sheik said, well, I promote in, the, uh, in Ohio and Michigan. He said, you, you, you come out there and he said, you can work for me. And I, you know, and I paused for that second, cause I'm not sure what I'm hearing. And I said, you mean, yeah, I, <laughs> you want me to come referee for you? And he said, no, my, because my father worked for General Motors, and so they lived in Detroit. So I would have a place to stay. And I, and I said, you mean referee? He said, no. You said your dream was to, 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 to wrestle. You know, you got a pair of tights. Bring them. We'll put you in the ring and just see what you what you can do. And so that's wow. how that's how the door got opened. I went out there and, uh, um, you know, watching wrestling all those years. I was never trained by anybody. Yeah. I played judo. Because they had no amateur wrestling in, in New Jersey when I was in high school at that time. Right. And, JJ, you're from Trenton, right? Yeah, I was born and raised in Trenton. and I Jersey I boy. Stu- I studied judo, so I, I knew how to fall. And anyway, long story short, uh, I started I started refereeing, and I met um, – oh, he, he lives in Springfield, Ohio. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on the name. But – and. And became friends with all the guys because I was working and I was refereeing for the Sheik around Detroit. And then because of my friendship with Bruno, uh, I was refereeing um, matches around when they would run on weekends because Bruno had an interest in the territory. Sure, yeah. And, and uh, one of the guys uh, would come home every winter and he, he lived in Springfield, Ohio, and he would go to Charlotte every summer. And, and worked for uh, Jim Crockett. That's when Jim Crockett Sr. was alive because they ran a lot of Jim, outdoor shows. And they Jim were Grabmeyer. Jim Grabmeyer, yes, thank you. And so uh, he and I became friends. So Grabmeyer, he uh, comes spring when it's time. He packs up and, and leaves for Charlotte. And a week, not even a week went by. I get a phone call one day. He says, Jim Grabmeyer. How you doing, Jim? Good to hear from you. He said, I'm in Charlotte. And he said, I got here and... He said, they are short of talent. And I had one of your pictures. And you said this was your dream. And this was on a Friday. He said, if, you're, wow. if you can be here Monday, you can wrestle Monday in Charlotte Park Center. Wrestle. Wow. Oh. And it's like, you know, you dream about something all your life and you never think it's like. And you were in Ohio? I'm in, I'm in, uh, in, in outside of Youngstown, Ohio. Yeah. So you, you had to get from Youngstown to Charlotte by Monday. Yes. Okay. So, um, it's like, 
and I had a car, I had an old car, I had an old Chevy, and uh, and so it was like, if you're here, so, I mean, this here's your dream that you sure you never, you never think that somebody's going to say on Friday that you know your dream can come true on Monday. Now there was no guarantee <laughs> it would be anything beyond whatever, and so I. I had never been south of uh, Richmond, Virginia in my life. I was born and raised in Trenton and spent all my life in the Northeast. So I got in my car, drove straight through to Charlotte. I checked in at the, they said, you can check in at the YMCA for $15 a night till you figure out what you're going to do. I go down there and I showed up Monday at, at uh, Charlotte Park Center. And back then they, they had the, uh, the two dressing rooms were split. The opponents didn't have the same dressing room. They were on opposite oh, sides wow. of the building. Sure, yeah. And an old timer named Angelo Martinelli was uh, was <laughs> a, was the referee. So he comes in yeah. and said, um, "You know, I think I was like in the first or first or second match." And he comes in and he said, uh, "Kid, <laughs> I'm 28. Kid, uh, Kid you're, working with right. Gene, you're working with Gene Anderson." And he said. And he said, you know, about five minutes, we need him to go over. And I said, not a problem. Whatever, whatever Mr. Anderson wants to do. So Your first match is against Gene Anderson? It's Gene Anderson. So, oh, so I go, I get it. I get in the ring. That's called trial by fire, JJ. <laughs> yeah. And it's, we have the first or second match. It's like a 20 minute time limit. And I am so, so into listening. Everything that he's, everything he's telling me to do. He then tells me something that's a little bit more involved, a little bit more. Next thing I knew, I hear is three minutes left, two minutes left. And I said, wow. I said, we're, he said, we need to go for the finish. The time's going to run out. And so uh, I, we, you know, we did the finish with like a minute and something left in the, in the 20 minute time limit. And I got back to the dressing room and Angelo Martinelli came back over and he'd been the referee and he said, uh, I know I told you five minutes, but he said you were out there with Gene, and Gene could sense that uh, you know that that you had some talent. And he said, "Well, I'm going to keep him out here a little bit longer, and just to check his oil and see what he can do." <laughs> well, now, JJ, let me let me uh, expound on that a little bit. You know, yeah, you're 28 years old and uh, making the decision to get into a business that you really, for all intents and purposes know little to nothing about you're in the ring now uh at the park center we'll talk about that in, in just a second and but the other the other thing not to interrupt you is i'm from the northeast so i knew all of the the who's who of wrestling from the northeast but i i get to charlotte and i think the only two guys on the card that that i knew were argentina apollo and Bruce bernard Oh, and a lot of, a lot oh of my these, God, a lot sure. of these guys, like one of the top teams was, uh, was Nelson Royal and Paul Jones. Oh well, my Nelson, Lord. Nelson, Nelson Royal and Paul Jones. If they walked in the door, you, you, you wouldn't turn your head and say, Oh wow. Who are they? Cause they didn't, yes. they, they didn't look, they looked like they just walked off the street. And that, and I don't, I don't mean <laughs> that in, in a disrespectful way, but sure. they, they were not, they were not typical of the land of giants where I'd come from, where somebody walks. Yeah. Through. Yeah. And well, so now JJ. So you know, <laughs> apparently Gene Anderson uh, detected some, you know, uh, a talent, some innate ability. Did you think that you had it? I, 
had never been trained by anybody, but I, I had played judo. I knew how to fall. And I had been the third man in the ring for like four years up to that with the who's who wrestling start with Bruno Sammartino and all of the superstars of the, of the business, killer Kowalski and, uh, I'm, I'm, names after names after names for all of the other of those great matches. So I I learned without anybody ever training me by just being the third man in the ring and and listening as they silently communicate with each other. That nobody in the first row ringside even knew what was being said except for wow. me. So I'm 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 listening. I'm I'm looking how they set the match up, how they're playing all off each other. And I'm seeing the crowd reaction to whatever I knew what they're going to do. And now, Oh, wow. I see the crowd reaction. And I learned from being a referee for all of those matches. So when I got a chance to go into the ring, I, I knew how to fall and I just understood the, how the wrestling business works. So I'm immediately, you know, they, I didn't, I didn't come across as somebody that was as green as I was. And I'm 20, like you say, I'm 28 years old at that point. Sure. Yeah. Now, JJ, well, you know what? Can, can I heard... interrupt you? I, sure. I just, yeah. I, just, I just learned another parallel as well as I know JJ and as close as we are. Here's another parallel for he and I. I was never broken into the business either. Huh. Nobody taught me anything. It was on the yeah. job training in, in the ring. Yeah. yeah. That I knew. That I knew. Yep. The only diff the only difference was Davey and you and I we had this conversation that you you went in the ring and uh, and to you it was like a a street fight and the guys that you were in the ring yeah. which I I was not a tough guy I'll tell you right now but you were in the ring and you could handle yourself and so out of salvation for the guys that you were in the ring with. They very quickly said, hey, somebody needs to smarten this guy up before he kills one of us. <laughs> oh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's about how it happened, I'm sure. Now, there are certain buildings that are what we call wrestling buildings. You know, Philadelphia Arena, of course, was a great wrestling venue. The Philadelphia Civic Center, of course, Madison Square Garden. Convention Hall, uh -huh. too, in Philly was uh, a regular for a while. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sunnyside Gardens in New York. J.J., the Park Center, they tell me, was a notorious building for one reason. They said when you walked into that building, it emitted an odor, a smell, a stench that you could not get out of your nose. What was it about that building and particularly the stage area curtain that was so offensive. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I maybe it's because it was my debut, and I was so focused on where I was. And I'm like I say, I'm I'm 28 years old, almost 28 years old. Months from my 28th birthday. Not a kid. And I'm in an area where I don't know anybody that's in the territory except for, like I say, the Argentine Apollo and for Brute Bernard. I don't know any of these other guys. And I look at uh, uh, Paul Jones and Nelson Royal were like tag team champions. And they were like, they were like maybe 220, 225, 230, which were, you know, were certainly not like the guys that I've been used to in the land of the Giants. And yet yeah. I go out there and watch them and geez, these guys could perform. And, the, and what was, what was 
mind-boggling was how they were over with the people and the story that they told. And what I remember was when you go in the ring in Park Center in Charlotte, if you look to the back of the building, you'll see a man who um, I I often try to think of somebody that I could like him to. And, and I keep coming up with Burl Ives, somebody that was like portly. And he sat in the back of the building with his chair up against the wall by himself. And he sat there and watched every match. And I'm told that that if he liked what I, what what he saw, he used to flip his tie. And that was the barometer to say, <laughs> well, Mr. Wow. Crockett, Mr. Crockett is flipping his tie, so everything is looking good. And that that was I, you know, I went out there and like I said, I was supposed to go five minutes with Gene Anderson. And all of a sudden, you know, we went home with a little over a minute left in the match, and Angelo Martinelli comes back and he said, well, kid, he said, I want to tell you, I know I told you five minutes, but, you know, Gene Anderson soon realized that, uh, that you know, he didn't have to be uh, not knowing who you were when you're against a guy who, who doesn't have a lot of experience in terms of his resume. You know, most guys would be very, very guarded about what they would do in the ring. Oh, my like, God, sure. Not, not oh, that's for sure, hurt. yeah. They would shut it down. And this guy yeah. soon realized that, that virtually he could do anything with me. And I let him call the whole match. And like I say, the time limit almost ran out. And when Martinelli came back with a big smile, and I remember him, he just looked at me and he said, kid, he said, you did good. You're going to be all right. And I ended up staying there for, for two and a half years. Wow. Full time. Full, full Dave, time. Davey O'Hannon, my, my dear friend, Davey. Yes. Uh, what is your connection to JJ? How did you guys meet? And what was... Uh, when did the mutual Bruno connection occur? Well, uh, the the first meeting was uh, uh, me meeting him as a fan. So you know, it was just uh, a fan talking to JJ that night. But for but for Davy, it was uh, it was a big deal. And I and I, uh, I'm not being facetious when I say that it was a big deal. Uh, and then and then you know then we had our careers. Uh, in the business, and like JJ said, a lot of the same places, but never at the same time. And uh, if I remember correctly, if I remember correctly, uh, when JJ was with WCW, uh, he called me, and uh, WCW was coming up into the uh, uh, the Northeast here, running some shows, and JJ asked me. Uh, to, to get a little bit of talent to, to fill an undercard up, and we did that, and that was the time we spoke. Uh, and then uh, uh, came about the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, and and that's when we really made an in-person connection. And, uh, you know, uh, J.J. has a stellar personality. He's an easy guy to get along with. Uh, he's he's also, you know, l you know, let's call a spade a spade here. You know, this guy's an icon in the uh, professional wrestling business. Absolutely. That's how it is. He, you know, it's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, so anyway, you know, we uh, we got to talking. Uh, it seems like our personalities meshed a bit, and so many parallels. I mean, so many, so many parallels. And one of those parallels was uh, both of us shared a mutual uh, respect and admiration for Bruno. 
you know, uh, I was in the Madison Square Garden uh, in 1963 when Bruno won the title from Buddy Rogers. Mm-hmm. You know, I watched it. And, Can uh, we talk and, about that for a second, Davey? 28 seconds, sure. wasn't it? 28. The story was the story was that the match ended in 28 seconds, and the 40, 48, not the correct. Okay, it was 48, 48 seconds. 48. That's right. And the story that I heard, and I I never really asked anybody to verify it was the story was that 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 Buddy Rogers, who was he was the man, and here's yep. this guy, this powerful physique, and they're bringing him in, and obviously not real experienced, and. I was told, never verified by by Buddy and I, because I got to know Buddy over the years. But that he, when he was going to to wrestle, uh, he he wanted the match to last thirty seconds because it's like he thought the people won't won't believe it. In other words, right. they they think this guy is going to beat me in thirty seconds, and all of a sudden he's going to be uh, uh, like on the the wow effect. Well. Buddy, to his surprise, found out that yeah. that, it, that it didn't have the effect that he thought it was. That all of a sudden, uh, you know, and it, it, it created it created a new star, and it just yeah. Built from well, there. you know what? And Bruno told me, uh, you know, Buddy, and I and I did get to meet Buddy uh, uh, before he uh, before he passed, and when he was back here in the WWF for a while. Uh, so so that. Uh, also was a big thrill for me. That was Buddy Rogers, man. He he was yeah. he was the man. You yeah. know, he was the man. He was he was the face of this business. Uh, but he anyway, sure was uh, for a lot of years, David. Yeah, yeah, and I and I mean, look at the, just look at his look and his his uh, mannerisms and everything. There, there's not too many people that were better than him. You know, the, at that time, at it. the time, <laughs> yeah, at the time. But anyway, uh, you know, I asked Bruno what went on there. And uh, it seems like uh, Vince Sr. Uh, was a little concerned that, that Buddy wouldn't cooperate uh, if he knew he was going to drop the belt. That's the story uh, I heard. Well, I, listen, I, I only, I'm only repeating uh, what Bruno told me. Yeah. So, you know, this, this came from the horse's mouth. Well, and, and, uh, and the story for the, the longest time, guys, was that Buddy had claimed... And, and let, let me just say, in the interest of complete full disclosure, I knew Buddy Rogers. I knew him very well. My my father actually bought his bar in Camden, okay. New Jersey, and uh, Alfred's bar. And uh, and I have to tell you, um, I asked him about that night, and he told me. I don't know if he kayfabe me or what, but he told me the story that he'd been telling for years. That he had a heart attack prior to that matchup. Do you guys know anything about that? Well, I'm not. I don't. You know, I won't call Buddy a liar. He's not here, uh, and I don't know. Oh, I'm uh, sorry, but, not but doing Buddy, that, Buddy, Buddy was the ultimate worker. Yep. You know, Buddy, Buddy was the ultimate worker. You know, he could sell ice to an Eskimo. So you know, he, he would go into a bar and he would trip over something, go down. Come up bleeding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, exactly, up, exactly. Up with a potential lawsuit, and yeah. they would settle it. And, but he made a good yeah. living just just from his lawsuits, from gigging himself with the falls. Yeah, I oh mean, and that's God. the truth, man. But he, <laughs> that's but, a true so, story. Yeah. So Bruno said to me, he said, "Listen, you know, they, uh, uh, 
they weren't sure Buddy was gonna was gonna cooperate, be a good businessman. Yeah. So Vince Senior said to Bruno, "Well, if you had to, Take could it. you beat him?" Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was actually driving the car, and and you know Bruno wasn't a, a braggart. Yeah, you know, he wasn't the guy. I so I looked at Bruno. I said, "Well, could you beat him?" And you know he just giggled. You know, because because Bruno could have beat up the car, uh, just so yeah. you know. And and uh, Bruno told uh, McMahon, "Yes, don't worry about it." And yeah. and Bruno told me uh, he he put Buddy up there in the backbreaker and said, "Give it up, or I'm going to break your back." Holy and that's the story that he had told for years. He also, um, in fact, in an interview, sure. Uh, told the story that uh, Toots Mont gave him the heads up and said, uh, you know, what you guys uh, agreed upon, forget about it. Just go in there and, and do what you do. Yeah, I mean, listen, if I, if I had to make a list of guys I don't want to get into a scrape with, uh, Bruno was probably right on top of that list. I, mean, I, I agree with that. And uh, I have a Bruno story that... that I was a third man in the ring for, I don't know how many matches, uh, you know, like at the Philadelphia arena, the civic center against killer Kowalski against, uh, all, all of, they would all come in and they would usually have like a, a match. There would be a, a disqualification. Then they would have a return match and there'd be no disqualification, but the, they would have a count out or something. And then the third right. match would be, you know, uh, falls anywhere in the building, you know, no key note. And so that, that would be the blow off would be the third time around. And so he could, he could, they would build up a guy and instead of yeah. going off with one, they would have a, a bas- basically a, a, a three, ma- a three match cycle. So I wow. got to, know, I got to know Bruno really, really well. And he, he showed kindness to me when I was, I was a kid in college. I had, there was absolutely nothing that I could do for Bruno it, so whatever kindness he showed to me was because it it it, it was a demonstration of the core person that, that Bruno Sammartino was. He was a good, well, great, great, great person. And and one one time uh, I had a they, they had they've called. I remember Arnold Scolan calling me and he said uh, I used to work the the main events in Philadelphia. And I get a hundred dollar payoff, which for a kid that's in college, that's a lot of money, a hundred bucks yeah. back back in those days. Well, on this particular case, I remember Arnold Scolan calling me because they were going to do a three match thing, and they wanted to because Kowalski was such a huge thing that they, all the three were selling out, and they want to try and get a fourth sellout. And they yeah. said, "We want to do something special." And he said, "I just want to ask you." He said. If we did something where a chair came in the ring and you got hit and you got bloody and 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 they had to carry you out and there, and though the fans had been told that this there was going to be a finish, you're knocked out. They the the dressing room's empty. The baby faces have Bruno and the heels have and they the cops order the ring cleared. They bring in a stretcher, put you on it, take you to the back. The ring's empty, and there's been no decision. So yeah. they brought back a fourth match and they would bring in like two ton Tony Galento or one of the old boxers. Oh my God. Yeah. In other words, like, well, this will never happen with two ton Tony and they would get the fourth <laughs> match and, and, and sell out again. So 
I, I, through all of this, I developed a, a really, really nice friendship with, uh, with Bruno. And I, I went to Detroit and I had, you know, refereed around the, uh, you know, the East coast, uh, or Eastern Pennsylvania, but not, not out around Pittsburgh. So I called, uh, uh, there were Rudy Miller was in the office and there, there was a, his partner in there. A guy had trouble hearing I, I can't think of his name at the moment. Well, he was an old wrestler and Ace Freeman, Ace Freeman. Hey. <laughs> so I, See, called, I can, I, I can help a little bit. <laughs> yeah. There you I, go. Called, I called the office one day and I, I said, uh, you know, I, I I'm friends with Bruno. And I said, I'm working out here now. I'm I, for the company I was working with transferred me to Ohio. And I said, I, I would like to, to get, I know you run on weekends. And I said, I would like to get some bookings and, and, uh, and I said, because I know Bruno. And it's like, yeah, yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so, said, okay, well, that's my story. So I finally, I wrote, Bruno had been in Italy. And I wrote him a letter and didn't hear from him, because he, which I didn't realize it then, had been in Italy. And then his first match back was uh, in, uh, at the arena in, Phil, at, in Pittsburgh, Civic Arena. So I thought, mm -hmm. well, I'm going to go down and... I go, I go down and I go back by the thing and they, they sent Ace Freeman comes out and I say, hey, Ace, and I said, I, I told you I was a friend of Bruno and I was hoping I could say hello to him. Yeah, yeah, kid. And I said, would you please go <laughs> tell, tell him that I'm here? So about five minutes goes by and all of a sudden the door opens up from the dressing room and Ace Freeman has this, this wide eyed puzzled look on his face and all of a sudden <laughs> he's waving me to come over and he That's said, funny. Bruno wants to talk to you. <laughs> and I said, Oh, wow, well, that's, 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 that's great. So I walk into the dressing room, Bruno picks me up a big hug and Ace Freeman standing there like, Oh hell, I guess, I guess you were telling me the truth. And so yeah. Bruno told me, he says, I got your letter. I was in Italy. I, that's why I couldn't answer you. I just got back and they used to run, Bruno had an interest in the office and they were, they would run on weekends and do a TV in Pittsburgh. He, then he, Ace Freeman's standing there with this, his jaw hanging down and his eyes wide open. Bruno looks at Ace and he said, Ace, he said, I want him booked every Friday and every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, three days that they ran. And he said, starting this week, if you have to add a match on the card and the eyes got bigger, wow. And bigger. Wow. And, I just That's I said, amazing. oh, Bruno, I can't ask you to do that. No. He said, we're going to add a match on the card. You're here. I got your letter. I uh, I was in Lily. I couldn't answer you. And you, and he said, you're going to start booking. So I ended up staying there for for like two years, working every wow. every weekend. That's when I met, uh, I met uh, Jim Grabmeyer. And every year, Jim Grabmeyer would come back around. He lived in Ohio, Springfield, Ohio. He would work Pittsburgh and Ohio, around Ohio, and he'd work a little bit for the Sheik. And then in the summer, he would he would go to Charlotte for the when they would increase their roster because they'd run a lot of outdoor shows. So he goes yeah. down. He goes down to uh, he leaves and goes to Charlotte. And this is like a Friday, and I he he just left, and I get a phone call. Says Jim Grabmeyer. Said yeah. He said you. He said, you told me that your dream was to wrestle full time. And he said, uh, I have to have one of your publicity pictures with me. And he said, timing is perfect. He said, 
I'm here and they're looking for people and I had your picture and they said, well, if he can be here Monday, he's working part, working part center. And I had been a heel up to that point, And he said, but they're looking for baby faces. I said, I don't care. I, I'll be there. I'll be there Monday. So I packed everything that I owned in an old beat up Chevy. I had never been south of Richmond, Virginia in my life and drove straight through to Charlotte, North Carolina, checked in at the YMCA. And I showed up at, uh, at Park Center. Didn't know a soul in there except that uh, like i said apollo had worked in new york territory and Bruce bernard had worked in i didn't know any of these other guys nelson royal uh was a huge huge and 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 paul jones were a huge baby face team i never heard of either of them yeah. and they didn't yeah. they, i never tell them to their face but they didn't look all that impressive to me compared to the, coming from the land of the giants so sure. you should have stretched. JJ. You should have stretched. You should have stretched Nelson Royal. Uh, <laughs> JJ and Davey, at the beginning of the show, uh, you heard me say that we put um, questionnaires out to our listeners and viewers. We asked them; they had a question for JJ Dillon or Davey O'Hannon. What question would you submit? And uh, we got a couple. Um, of course, I read one at the top of the show. We actually have a question from somebody in the business, from a female worker named Gremlina, who is one of the original gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Oh, wow. She said, what would Bruno think of today's wrestling? And given the caliber of the athlete today, who would Bruno most likely uh, who would Bruno most want most like to wrestle against? Well, I, well let, let me tell you this. Bruno was a, a power lifter that went to, went to Toronto and um, didn't have extensive uh, wrestling. And, and he, because he was more of, a, of a, power, a power lifter, power guy. And yep. he developed his style through his experience in the ring. But he was also somebody who was... Who was very humble. He was somebody who, who never, uh, he, he never talked about himself. And and you know, uh, he had some weightlifting records at, at yeah. one time. Oh boy! Yeah, but yeah. but he but he didn't talk about those things. He just was. Well, you know, JJ tying right into that where where you're you're going now with it, um, and you can incorporate this into your answer if you'd like, but. Along those lines, the other another question that we had was, given Bruno's very calm demeanor, did you ever see Bruno legitimately angry with someone? And what was the circumstances surrounding it? And the other part of that question was, have you ever been a recipient of or have you seen Bruno reach into his pocket to give other people money, support, assistance, financially or otherwise? Well, the first part of it is I never saw Bruno express an angry moment or ever put somebody in their place that the people in the business, because of the way Bruno conducted himself, he he commanded respect, not by the things that he said, but by how he conducted himself. And oh, yeah, one, no I, doubt. I, I talk about examples. I, uh, I, I was 
I, I wrestled in Pittsburgh and at, at, at an arena show and they, they had me with, with, uh, with killer Kowalski. And it was, you know, up in the, you know, it wasn't the main event, but it was up in the card. So back in those days, when you, when you wrestled, you, you, you basically got a hundred bucks. So this was a case where they, we had done something on TV. It was like a, almost a mini angle to, to come back with the, with the, with the event in the arena. And so they used to pay you that night. It was either Angelo Savoldi or, or Skolan would would give the guys advances or you know if you were down in the card they would give you you'd sign a receipt and uh, like i say the the flat fee was 100 bucks well they had asked me to do something special that what what it was i don't know if they wanted me to bleed or do something and so i did it and uh i go to get paid and they they handed me that same 100 dollars and said sign here and i didn't say anything and so bruno uh, this was like, I didn't see Bruno for like five days. They had a show in, in, in of all places in Reading, Pennsylvania. I think it was an outdoor show at the fairgrounds. And Bruno was there on the card and I wasn't assigned. I went down just to say hello to everybody and said hello to Bruno. And he thanked me for that week before. And I, I, I said, Bruno, I said, uh, usually when I worked, I got a hundred dollars, but they wanted me to do something. They wanted me to bleed. It was something. And I said, and they they paid me that same hundred dollars, and I uh, I didn't say anything. And Bruno said, oh, "He said stop right there." He said, "You did the right thing. I'm glad you didn't say anything, and I'm going to ask you not to say anything and leave it to me." And I said, "Well, Bruno, I can't ask you to leave it to me." So there you go. Uh, yep. About a week goes by, and they had a show, I think in Reading, and Phil Zacco used to promote around. Uh, Baltimore and he would run those spot shows all up through there. So I wasn't even assigned to, to referee that night. And I go down to Reading just to watch the matches and say hello to guys. And Phil Zacco sees me and he's, Oh, Hey, Hey kid, come here. And we go around the corner. <laughs> he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a roll of money and he peels out $200. And he said, here, this is for you. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> so, I didn't see Bruno for, a, and Bruno wasn't on the card that night. It was Bill Miller and, and somebody in the main event, uh, Spiros Arian or somebody. And so I didn't see Bruno till like the end of that week. And so I saw Bruno and he said, uh, did anybody want to talk to you this week? And I said, yeah. He said, wow. Oh, he said, Phil Zacco did. And, uh, and I told him, I, I said, you know, that they had given me $100 the day of the show for doing something special. And I never said anything. He said, well, you did the right thing. You were smart. And he said, when I found that out on Thursdays, they used to all go to do the TV in Washington, DC, and they'd all go into Vince's office and whatever their pay was for the week, they would add up what they took for advances and they would get the balance of their money. So Bruno talks to, to Vince unbeknownst to me. And he says, uh, that, you know, I, he said, I had done, such an outstanding job that I had to do something for to, to get blood carried out. And they pulled the ring apart and got the fourth match out of it because of what I did. And I got the same hundred dollars. And so Bruno said, told Vince and he said, wow, what a great, and he looked for, he says, you got to meet this guy. He said, what a great job he did. And he said, I think he normally gets a hundred bucks. And he said, uh, 
I think that they paid him the hundred and that was all. And, and Vince cut him off and it said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it from here. So that's when a few days later, I see Zacco. He calls me off to the side, reaches in his pocket, peels out another $200 and gives it to me. And then I see Bruno a couple days later. He said, anybody talk to you? And I said, yeah, Phil Zacco called me over and said, uh, here and peeled out $200 and gave it to me. And Bruno said, were you, uh, were you satisfied with that? I said, satisfied. God, yeah, more than this is okay. He said, um, I was told that, uh, that, that you would be taken care of and you'd be happy. And I just wanted to verify that. So that's the wow. kind of guy that Bruno Sammartino was. I mean, yeah. and, and, and I, I, I don't know if it's true, but I heard stories where, where I, that was not an isolated thing that Bruno for the guys that were, Oh, that's for sure. That, well, okay, that's for you, sure. You, you're going to confirm it, but David, that, that Bruno more often than not would go to Vince and say that, you know, the guys underneath got 50 bucks. Vince, that's not right. They need to get more money. And Vince used to get angry, from what I'm told, with Bruno because Bruno was making big, big money. And Vince would yep. say to Bruno, Bruno, why are you coming in here and sticking up for these guys? They they don't mean anything to you. And and Bruno, I don't even think Bruno even answered him because that's the kind of guy that Bruno was. That well, you could remember himself. his, yeah, but we also need to remember his upbringing. They were dirt poor growing up. Yep. Yeah. I know. L- listen, listen, Bruno, Bruno went to Vince Sr. once, and, and I won't mention the guy's name. There was a guy uh, that was uh, a lifelong guy in the WWF. He worked underneath, a uh, very well-respected worker, uh, and did everything he was asked you never heard two words from him no problems and uh he was talking to bruno one night and i was sitting right there i was sitting right there and uh he said to bruno you know all the years i've been here he says i never broke a thousand dollars for a week he says i never broke a thousand i never cracked a thousand dollars he says i do everything there uh, they asked me to do bruno got up and, and i'm pretty sure it was at philadelphia tv Bruno got up and walked right over to Vince Sr., who would sit inside at the desk uh, in front of the monitor and watch the uh, the tapes being made. And he said, can I speak to you? And they walked wherever they walked to. And, and this guy uh, broke that thousand that week. Yeah. Bruno wow. spoke, right, Bruno yeah. spoke right, up, right up for him. And, and you know what? Uh, I was working in uh, the county center in White Plains. And, uh, I, you know, I was in... Like J.J. said, guys that didn't get broken in, the way to learn the business back there, because there was no wrestling schools or things like that, you had to yeah. watch. That's how you That's how you learned. You watched. Yep. If you're really smart, you watched the old-timers, and you watched the guys that were in and saw what they did. Try to steal a little something, and, and if uh, you were if you had a half a brain in your head, and, and one of the guys uh, that was established said to you, hey, I saw your match, kid. Uh, would you mind if I gave you some constructive criticism? Well, I mean, the only answer to that is yes, please. Of course. Uh, but, so I was, I was kind of watching uh, uh, from the hallway at the county center, and some guy approached me. So the short part of the story is uh, he was a promoter in India. And uh, he he just sold me a bill of goods. I was going to go to India. I was going to make a lot of money. And blah. Yeah. so he had, a, he had a contract. And I said, well, excuse me a minute. I, I said, i got to go tie up my shoes a little bit. I'll see you in a little bit. And I right. was sitting next to Bruno in the dressing room. 
and I put it down. And he said, well, he said, where have you been? I said, hey, Bruno, I said, this guy, this guy is going to send me to India. He guaranteed me $8,000 a week or whatever it was. And Bruno said, is that the contract? He said, did you read it? I said, no, no, I got to get dressed to go. He took the contract. I came back after my match. He had the contract in his hand. He was still sitting on the bench. He took it. He said, tear that up. I said, tear it up. I didn't even sign it. Tear it up. He said, you're not going to India. You're not going. He said, did the guy tell you that 8000 or whatever the number was at the time? He said, did he tell you you have to spend it all in India before you leave? He said, did he tell you all of that stuff? Yeah, yeah. And Bruno said, tell you what you're going to do. He said, "Uh, where are you tomorrow, wherever we were? He said, I'll be home uh, tomorrow afternoon. Call me. And that's how I got my first Japan trip. Mm. So... Bruno, Bruno made a call and sent me to Japan for the first time. So, yeah. so there's another example of him looking out for people. He was very understated. He, yeah. You wouldn't have known he was doing it, uh, but he was such a wonderful guy uh, that uh, he did that. He did that. I, Davey, I, um, I, I never hey. heard Bruno ever also say to anybody, and he, and he did that to so many guys, and they were guys yep. that... That I and I heard that Vince would say to him, Bruno, why are you sti- these guy? Why are you sticking up for these guys? You're making all this money, and and yeah. Bruno, Bruno would just it's like his answer was because it's the right thing to do, and that's, that's that, exactly it. Yeah, that's yeah. how he was. That is how he yeah. was. And, and he was he so never, principled. Yeah. Oh, principled. That's it. And he he would never he would never come back, and and. I never heard him tell. He didn't do it with me, and I don't never ever heard of him doing anything. Else, where he would come back to you and say, "I talked to somebody for you." He yep. never did that. All of a no, sudden, never. Somebody would call you over and give you money, and and the, the only thing might be he wanted to make sure that you got your money. Bruno may yes. say, hey, "Anybody talk to you?" I said, "Yeah, Bruno." The so and so and all he do was not okay. Then. They did what they said they were going to do. He just wanted to verify that you'd gotten your money. And well, my first, yeah, the first Japan trip, uh, you know, I would, I would have probably gone for free, uh, but I agreed to nine hundred a week for four weeks. Okay, I was thrilled. I was a, I was a punk. I was a brand new kid. Bruno sent me to Japan. Uh, you know, I said to Bruno, "Am I going to be able to handle this? Am I good enough to do this?" Uh, he said, "Don't you worry." Uh, I was in Japan for one week. One week. And uh, Bruno, the only thing he did before he sent me was he said to me, listen, he said, uh, you're going to be over there. He said, and, and Baba is in charge. He said, I'm going to give you a little advice. Everybody thinks Baba doesn't understand or speak English. He says, <laughs> he, says he does. Yeah. He said, he does. And so he said, just keep that in the back of your mind. And I didn't have a lot of contact with Bob. I was I was in tag matches with him, you know, for four weeks. But anyway, uh, a week in, uh, a referee who was a really great guy over there, Joe Higuchi. Joe Higuchi, uh, yes, sir. Yeah, came to me. He says, Davey-san, Davey-san, he says, a, a boss uh, would like to see you right now. Uh, so, you know, I was, you know, unlike JJ, never knew when to keep my mouth shut uh, and, you know, was getting in trouble. I said, uh-oh, what did I do now? You know, because those contracts back then, sure. also, also, you know, you had to behave, you had to dress properly, you, you had to represent the company in the business. You know, you you couldn't you couldn't be a bum or you. Oh, sure, be a but you know what? It's funny that you say that, Davey, because I, I seldom ever saw Bruno without a suit and tie on. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, back in those days, those guys, well, Bruno was a champion, and he looked like a champion. Yes, he did. You know, but anyway, he called me in there, and, and Baba had my contract in his hand. He was sitting at a table, and Joe Gucci was standing next to me, and Baba picked up my contract and tore it in half. Mm. And I went, oh, my God. You know, what am I going to do? Well, he gave me a $400 a week raise. Ooh. Oh. Now, what how did that happen? Roughly? How did that, this is, this is 1970, probably the beginning of 73. And you're making $1,300 a week? Yes. yes. Oh, my God. With, with expenses, with expenses. You know, they got us there, and they put us in a hotel and all of that stuff. But anyway, you know, that didn't happen by accident, and it didn't happen uh, because I was such a great performer. It happened, I am sure, because of Bruno Sammartino. Uh-huh. No, absolutely. I went over there. No doubt about it. I'm I'm looking. I, I the the cars in Japan are typical of what what you see with Japanese cars. They're small little cars because it's a small country, small roads, yep. small people. Yeah. And I I was outside the arena one night and I see this this Cadillac Elder Stretch Eldorado. Yes. Yeah. I, looked at the, I said, God, I wonder whose car that is. They said, Oh, that's Mister Baba's car. Bruno yep. Sammartino sent it to him from America on the boat as a gift. That's <laughs> right. He uh, bought uh, him a car. Bought him a full. Baba was the only. Baba was a big man, and so he for sure him, was. him to get all bent over in sections to get into one of their small cars, uh, Bruno sent That's him over crazy. there a a a full size stretch Cadillac. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bruno, Bruno. Bruno. Yes. Davey O'Hannon, uh, Mike Kelleher has a question for you. Okay, Mike. All right, Davey. Um, so, so there's a there's a song. I'm going to see if you uh, have any recollection of. Because I, I heard a rumor maybe that uh, Mr. San Martino uh, had a certain uh, certain feeling about it. It's called uh, Volare. Volare. <laughs> Volare. Volare. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not bad. Bruno was big into opera. He was a big opera. Bruno player. was a frustrated opera singer. That's right. Yeah, that's what he was. <laughs> he was, and and you well, know what? Uh, here, I'll well, give I, I'll I give up a little secret. Where Mike is going with this, Davey, is uh, Bruno uh, apparently from time to time used to rib you because well, of yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you exactly you, that. But, <laughs> but the lead the lead the lead into that was. You know, uh, I'm I'm O'Hannon, but my mother's name was Caruso. So so Bruno used to always say to me, "Don't give me that O'Hannon crap." He said the only good part of you was Caruso. So he would say that all the time. And and when we would travel in a car, you know, I I liked a lot of '40s and '50s music, and uh, I loved Dean Martin. I listened to Dean Martin all the time. Uh, and there was an, uh, an old ballad singer named Jimmy Rosselli, who was really good. And I happened to have I, the I tape knew, in the car. I knew Jimmy Rosselli. He was a dear friend uh, of my father. What a, uh, The guy was an unbelievable singer. Uh, unbelievable. I, I thought he put Frank Sinatra to shame. I really did. But anyway. Uh, yeah, anyway. So I had Jimmy Rosselli sings Italian favorites. So we'd be in the car, and I'd, you know, I'd be trying to sing along. And Bruno used to look at me and say, Jesus Christ, he says, your, your mother's a Caruso. You don't even get any of these words right. What are you doing? <laughs> he, he said, just be, 
He said, why don't you just sing Irish Eyes or something and be quiet there? You know, yeah, that was it. I heard that he used to rib you because you didn't know the uh, Italian verse of Alari. Yeah, well, listen, uh, we were at Dominic Danucci's daughter's wedding, and my wife and I were on the dance floor, and Bruno danced by with his wife, and uh, he, he said hello to me, and he looked at my wife, and he said, I'm sorry. He said, I have to call you Mrs. Caruso. And he says, I can't say O'Hannon. I said, oh, well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Davey yeah, and, and I made a trip uh, when Bruno passed away. Yep. They, I, I'm not very good with funerals. I, I tend to, uh, I just don't, I just don't, I don't process them very well. And I, I tend to, to like to uh, retain memories of people as I saw them when they were living, when I interacted with them. When, but when Bruno right. passed, Bruno passed Amen, away. brother. I just thought, you know, here's a man that, that treated me with such kindness and did so much for me that whatever anxiety I have about a, a funeral, I have to put that aside that if I didn't go to Pittsburgh and pay my last respects, I would regret it for the rest of my life. And so I went yeah. to New Jersey and with Davey O'Hannon and I think Sal Corrente, the three of us, yep. drove all the way across the state of Pennsylvania, and we went there early, and Carol was there. Uh, we went to, a, 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 really, we had a private viewing, uh, you know, before the public came in, and had a chance to go in and uh, pay pay my last respects, and I, I thought after that if I had not done that for all the kindness and for, first of all, for forgetting that for just the person that Bruno was and what he yeah. had to, to our profession, but for the kindness that he showed me when there was nothing that I could ever do for him. He did it because yeah. out of the kindness of his heart that if I hadn't have gone there and paid my last respects, I would have regretted that for the rest of my life. So yeah. Davey, JJ, did, did, did you, Davy, and Sal go up to Rico's and have a, yes. have a, a dinner in Bruno's honor? Yes. Yes. Yes, we did. And he had and, prosciutto. He liked prosciutto. And uh, yeah. I, I, I'm asking, yeah, I'm asking for a, a very specific reason. You know, Sal Corrente, you know, being Italian, says that he never had figs in his entire life. That's true. And Bruno yep. was always telling him, Sal, you got to have some figs. Yeah. And figs, so, weren't right. the, figs weren't on the menu. Yeah, and then and he, Sal, he would make them on a special plate only when Bruno was there. And the day that we were there with the Davy, Sal, and I, the the owner uh, uh, Rico's came out with a with a with a plate of figs, and he said, "I only make these for Bruno." And he said, "In Bruno's yeah. honor," he said, "I'm uh, <laughs> wow." And, and you amazing. know what? You know, and and. JJ and I, uh, and, and just so you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, in cars or traveling, and, you know, I was around Bruno a lot, and I spoke to him all the time. Uh, you know, as if, uh, I'm sure JJ knows this, Bruno uh, had the utmost respect, uh, and uh, he, he cared about JJ a whole lot. He was, he was really an important guy to Bruno, he said, uh, and Bruno was a tough guy to get close to. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt you, David, but it's funny because one of the the very first question was it was an interesting one. You know, 
you don't normally associate J.J. Dillon and Bruno Sammartino because, you know, because J.J. spent all those years, you know, with the uh, NWA and WCW. Bruno, of course, the uh, stalwart up here. He, he represented everything that was the WWF at the time. Yeah, you but know, Bruno, J- Bruno was a very good judge of character, a very good judge of character. Absolutely. And he knew... He knew J.J. from the beginning of J.J.'s career when it started uh, as a referee and a wrestler. So, you know, that's, that's the barometer you could use uh, to measure how Bruno felt about people. And, uh, you know, so, and, and once Bruno uh, thought of you as a loyal friend, it didn't matter where you went. It didn't matter where you went. You know, you were, you, were, a friend you were in his heart. Yep. And and that's how that was, and and I'll tell you what, uh, and and again, I I uh, like JJ. You know, another one of our parallels is uh, is you know our friends uh, leaving us. Uh, we don't handle very well. You know, we we knew Bruno was having a little trouble there at the end, and uh, you know we knew he was sick, and I, yeah. I I'm in touch with Dominic all the time, and. Uh, you know, a couple of times I said to Dominic, "Did you go up to the hospital?" Yeah, I went up. Uh, you know, he he you know he was he wasn't doing too good, but he was sleeping. I didn't want to wake him up. And I'm talking to JJ. I think it was on a Sunday morning. I think it was on a Sunday morning, uh, and we're talking. And I, I think I called him and I said, "I said James, I said I think something's going on in Pittsburgh here." I said, "You know what? Let's hang up." And as I'm talking, JJ is trying to interrupt me. And he's going, Davey, Davey. And I said, you know what, let me call Dominic. I'll find out what's going on. And finally, J.J. said, Davey, Bruno passed away last night. Yeah. Oh. End of that conversation, because I couldn't talk anymore. I said to J.J., I'll talk to you later. You know, it was was a, it's, ah, that was a terrible day. It was a terrible day. I mean, J.J., I got to tell you, Sal is, um, has been on the show previously and told that story. And and it, it still seems to be a very emotional subject for both you and he. Um, this this man, this legend, icon, whatever, you know, adjective you want to give him, this, you know, larger-than-life guy um, affected are, a lot of people. There are proper adjectives to adequately describe that man. And I mean that with all sincerity. Yep. I, I, I was, you know, of course, a fan growing up. I met Bruno when I was seven. I was introduced to him you know, by my uncle. And again, I met him uh, as an adult. And where we actually became friends was in Atlantic City, New Jersey, of all places. He was with Carol and uh, I was working in the casinos at the time. Uh, Bruno was... Uh, trying to be inconspicuous walking through the slot machine section. <laughs> Very difficult to do. It was easy Spent with those ears and nose, yeah. 30 people in tow. Uh, but they, he finally got rid of them, and they, they left them alone a bit. And we, and we just stood there in the middle of the casino floor while Carol was behind him, you know, losing whatever money she was losing on the slot machine. And Bruno and I spoke about everything but wrestling. Well, yeah. And he yeah. did. Yeah. And that's when uh, Bruno and I became friends. And I, of course, 
since that time, had a chance to have dinner with him a couple times. I had lunch with him a few times. I considered him a friend, and uh, he was sorely missed. He was my uh, my hero, you know, and um, that was a hard day for me. I'll be honest with you. It was a hard day to take. Yeah, um, it sure was. <laughs> I would, I, I'm not one to, to call him and chit-chat and, and Davey and someone I'm very close to. And I, and I don't, I, Davey doesn't hear from me because that's not my thing. I don't make phone calls. Yeah, and, yeah. And with Bruno, I would, I would call, talk to Bruno twice a year. His birthday was in October. I would call him on his birthday to wish him a happy birthday. And then I would call him, call him at Christmas. And he is a hard guy to get on the phone. But I would call and he would take my phone call. And invariably, it would be an hour phone call where we would talk yep. about anything and everything, whatever he wanted to talk about. And That's he right. just, he just, I loved him not for Bruno Sammartino, the great champion he was, but for the for the human being that he was. Yeah, and that he was. Yeah, and and I I I echo that that thought, JJ. He was a really nice guy. Yep. In a business where nice guys are hard to come by. Very hard. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's for before sure. We, uh, before we continue, and before I say goodnight to you guys, I want to tell everybody what's coming up on Wrestling with the Future podcast. This week, Thursday night, we have Jason Knight from ECW. Jason Knight from WCW and ECW will be with us. On Friday night, Jeff Miller, the Metal Maniac from ECW and WCW. April 14th, the wild woman herself, Karen McDaniel, Wahoo McDaniel's widow, will be with us. On April the 16th, veteran of the ring, uh, best known as the manager, Nikita Brezhnikov, is here. Actor, wrestler, writer, director, he does it all. Tony Volano will join us on April the 21st. Tony is the uh, curator of the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, in upstate New York. JJ, you're a big part of that. Davey, you're also a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Joining me on April 23rd will be JJ McGuire. He is the WWE music man. He and Jimmy Hart wrote all of that great entrance theme music you heard. On May the 5th, Magnum TA, Terry Allen, will be here. I got him for the whole show. And if that's not enough, later that week, the Raging Bull comes back for his second appearance, Manny Fernandez. On May 12th, for his first of two appearances, flying Brian Pillman Jr. will be here. And May 14th, I've got the owner of the Monster Factory, Danny Cage. Of course, I knew the previous owner very, very well, the late Larry Sharp. Pretty boy was a dear friend of mine. May 19th, the one and only, the venerable venerable Doc Diamond will be here. And we will have a very special refs roundtable discussing the death of Macho Man Randy Savage. And returning to close out the month of May will be flying Brian Pillman Jr. for his second of two appearances. So we've got a busy, busy month coming up, folks. Wow, I feel I feel humbled that I got I was able to get on your show. And what a lineup! I, yeah, I, 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 have, I feel I feel more humbled because I shared this with JJ Dillon. Well, hey, I was, you know, and JJ, uh, I have to remind you, my friend, 
you and I did, in fact, meet in October in Glassboro, New Jersey. We were uh, both at the Jaden's show for Dog Pro Wrestling, and I made you a promise that night. I said, JJ, if you do my podcast, I will give you a month's supply of pizza, popcorn, and candy. <laughs> Somebody gave me up. <laughs> you knew how to there get There you pizza. go. <laughs> do, you re- do you remember me telling you that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. There you go. I'm going to hold you to it, too. <laughs> you got it, brother. Not only that, but you're going to get a Wrestling with the Future t-shirt. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so... This has been a this has been a great great. I, I don't do many shows. In fact, I do very very few. And uh, I'm honored to to be able to share this with Davey, one of my favorite people. And it's amazing that that we were both, you know, had been to the, all the same places, and, and uh, that that we didn't meet each other and begin our friendship to very very late in my career. And yep. you know we've been we've been trying to make up for uh, make up for for lost time. But Davey O'Hannon is a class act and uh, uh, just a wonderful human being and a credit to our business. And and to be able to have this time talking about Bruno San Martino, um, there was only there will only be one Bruno, and there aren't many people who you Amen. can when you, in our business if you say the name Bruno, you don't have to say Bruno San Martino. That's you right. Say, just say Bruno. And everybody, young, old, whoever, knows exactly who you're talking about. That's that's how much. Yeah. That, that's Absolutely. How, the, the steam in which he's held in our wrestling business. And I I I feel honored and humbled that I had a chance to know him, to to be around him when I was a referee and to referee some of his uh, some of his matches. I never wrestled against Bruno Sammartino, and and I think maybe it's it's. It's good that I didn't. I just and, and one of the highlights of my career was going up to Toronto, and they had an event, and I forget who the the contestants were. It doesn't really matter, but they wanted Bruno to come up there in the in the one guy's corner in Toronto, and they said Bruno said the only way I'll agree to come is if you get JJ to be in the other guy's corner. So I got the call, and they said Bruno won't do the date unless. <laughs> Unless yeah. we bring, unless we bring you in to do the other, you know, be with the other guy, and I said, "Wow!" I said, "So obviously I was there, and and one of my, I, you know, I wrestled El Santo, the original El Santo. Oh I wow! I wrestled him twice, so I've, I've been in the ring with virtually the who's who of wrestling. But one of my finest moments was in Toronto being on the corner and I don't even remember who the participants were and I, you know, being in the corner, you know, I didn't, I had to be careful not to bury Bruno by doing too much, but I would do just, I would threaten to do something or start to do something. Bruno would come around and I, whoa, back away. And then finally my courage built up a little bit and we kind of had to build towards the end and I did something and momentarily, you know, forgot, Oh, Bruno's here too. And I turned around and all of a sudden, I'm about a foot and a half in front of Bruno, and just as a as a as a reflex, I hauled back and went to throw a punch. He blocked the punch, nailed me, and I probably took a triple flip. <laughs> one, of, one of my proudest memories in my whole career 
I finally took a punch from Bruno Sammartino. Yeah, absolutely. And that that emphasizes, since Bruno said, I'm not doing it unless J.J. Dillon is there, that just emphasizes and reinforces what I told you before. I know how Bruno felt about J.J. Dillon. I know that. Came absolutely. from the horse's mouth. Came from the horse's mouth. I heard Bruno say it. So, uh, you know, for, for J.J., uh, that was really something, and for me to even be able to call Bruno a friend, I was a fan uh, that that got to know and uh, and be a peer with Bruno. It's unbelievable for some of us. Dave, I got a question for you. Yes. You know, JJ mentioned it earlier in the show that Bruno wasn't uh, you know, a, a trained or skilled amateur wrestler. He was more kind of like a rough and tumble, brawling kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You actually wrestled him. You were in the ring with him several times. I was in Battle Royals. I never, I never wrestled Bruno in a singles match, of course. Right, right. But was he the kind of guy who could naturally adapt to people's styles? Well, he had to. He did. There was somebody who came in every month or every couple of months in New York. Yeah. Look at the guys that. Look at the guys he went through. Look at the guys he went through. He had. How did he, he had prepare a, for that? What, what what did he what did he do to to kind of uh, uh, acclimate himself to, to these various styles? He he was a, he was a he was a very polished wrestler. He was not yeah. he was a powerful man and had an image of of that power. But he could go out there and have a match. He would somehow be able to adapt to the style because some guys their style is what it is. And, right. And he instead of Guys coming in and trying to adapt to Bruno, uh, Bruno would adapt. You know, he would be able to adapt to them and and make it a match that the people, you know, felt that they definitely got their money's worth. Well, Here's you know what? An example of that is uh, I'll ask JJ how you know how good was Harley? Ooh, Harley, yeah. Harley was Harley was unbelievable. Well, Bruno went and worked with Harley in St. Louis and I'm sure in other places. All right. So there, there was there was uh, someone he had to adapt to, because an NWA guy was much different than a WWF guy. That you know you had a you well, know, you know, you had they, a, that's a real good point. In fact, uh, maybe you and JJ could chime in on this. You know, Ric Flair in his book claimed, uh, of course, uh, as you expect him to that Bruno wasn't really a draw outside of the Northeast area, but we know that Bruno wrestled in San Francisco, in Texas, in Florida, Oklahoma. Big in Japan. Big in Japan. And huge in Japan, Australia. Bruno Bruno didn't travel the the traditional territories because he he was so big in New York. I don't know how many times in the garden he sold out the garden time after time after time. He didn't need to go anywhere else. Well, my my question would be, why the hell would he want to leave? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're both saying the same thing in a different way. Yeah, Yeah. and and you know what? If he wasn't a draw somewhere else, I I have to disagree to a point with Rick. If he wasn't a draw somewhere else, then Sam Muchnick wouldn't have picked up the phone and said, geez, I'd really like to have him here in St. Louis. Or Paul Bosch wouldn't have said, hey, can we borrow him down in Houston? Uh, you know, that that shows it right there. That that, that kind of St. Louis, St. Louis was uh, was a really a high-end wrestling town. That yeah. was a high-end yeah, wrestling town. 
you you're real familiar with the uh, Mushnick and and the NWA product and, and have been for a long time. Can you tell me if the match between would that Sam Mushnick wanted to make between Lufez and Bruno would ever have happened in your opinion? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, Lufez kind of looked down on anybody that uh, he thought was uh, wasn't exactly the kind of wrestler uh, he'd like him to be. You know, so I don't know how Lou felt about Bruno uh and Bruno was too nice of a guy uh to elicit opinions Except for Jerry Graham. He really didn't like Jerry Graham. But anyway. Yeah. We we actually, in researching the show, we actually heard that he he didn't hate a lot of people, but he really didn't like Dr. Jerry Graham. I couldn't stand him. He he actually made Bobo Brazil stop the car on a New Jersey turnpike once. And and I think we should point out, for the record, by the way, this is... Coming from Vince McMahon Jr.'s mouth, his favorite wrestler was Dr. Jerry Graham. <laughs> well, that kind of that kind of figures, but you know, okay, that fits. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, Bruno Bruno because Jerry Graham wasn't a uh, and and Jerry Graham, you know, I watched him as a fan also. I mean, the guy was great in the ring. Uh, JJ would know more about him than I would. I mean, I know him from watching, and I I had one incident, actually two incidents with him. Uh, you know, and one of them caused Bruno to grab me by the collar and, and take me on the side and and say, if I ever see something like that happen again, hey, you and I got a problem. That little voice in my head said, let's see, who do I want to have a problem with? All right, it's not Bruno, so I won't let that happen again. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, Bruno, uh, Bruno told me that uh, Jerry Graham was so obnoxious. Uh, he, Bobo. And uh, Bruno were, uh, or uh, Bobo and Jerry Graham were driving up the turnpike, and I guess Jerry Graham was shooting his mouth off or doing whatever he was doing, and uh, and Bruno said, "Bobo, stop the car, stop the car." He got out, and he was just about to drag Jerry Graham out of the car and give him a little beating, uh, and the New Jersey State Police pulled up behind him. Says, "Everything oh, okay here, guys?" <laughs> yeah. And uh, and Bruno was working with. Jerry Graham in the the uh, garden that night, the next oh night. Oh my God! Uh, the next night, and uh, uh, he told Jerry Graham. He said, "Okay." He said, "Well, you know what? Uh, tomorrow night we'll take care of this in the <laughs> ring." Uh, well, uh, you prob- gentlemen, I'll you tell prob- you what. You probably don't want to been- hear that coming from Bruno. Yeah, uh, and he said that uh, before the match, Jerry Graham came into his dressing room with a big box of really expensive cigars and said, here, I got you a little present and, you know, hope we can forget about what went on last night. Yeah. Ah, lifesaver. Yeah. JJ yeah. Dillon, final thoughts on your friend, Bruno San Martino. Uh, there's only going to, there's only one Bruno. And like I said, there aren't a lot of names in our profession that you can say the name and everybody immediately know who you're talking about, but I don't yep. care how old you are, how young you are, what area you're from or, or what geographical part of the world you come from. But in our profession, when you say the word Bruno, you don't have to say any more. We all know who you're talking about. And I, yeah. I, I just, I am thrilled, humbled by the fact that I was the right place, the right time to, to be with Bruno, to be the beneficiary of 
uh, of his kindness on on number of occasions. And you know, when you talk about greatest, you know, we hear discussions about oh, the greatest champion of all time. You know, and everybody has their favorites. But boy, uh, in terms of his his record with sellouts in the Garden, with his uh, uh, just the way he was as a person. Uh, I can't think of anybody finer than Bruno Sammartino, and I'm honored and humbled that I had a chance to uh, to know him and to be able to call him my friend. Davey O'Hannon, final thoughts on Bruno. Well, there's not much I could add to that. Uh, uh, I kind of mirror what J.J. said. Here's a, here's a person that has first-name recognition, not only uh, in his sport, uh, but all over. Bruno was, you know, uh, Bruno was Bruno all over. He was a he was a sincere, uh, principled, caring guy, uh, not full of himself, unassuming, uh, uh, benevolent, generous, uh, and for me, uh, a fan uh, that that got to watch Bruno that that sat in front of a television and cried when something happened to Bruno or was worried about it, and then got in the, in the business. And actually had him walk up to me in an arena and stick his hand out and introduce himself, uh, which was, you know, a kind of our protocol in a dressing room. If you were new in a dressing room, you walked up and introduced yourself. And I just happened to be sitting there, and he walked in and stuck his hand out. And he said, uh, he said, hey, hi, uh, Sam Martino. And I stuck my hand out and said, yeah, I know. He said, oh, your, your name is I know. I said, no, no, my name's not I know. My name is Dave. <laughs> I said, you're Bruno. You know, I said, I said, I know you're Bruno. He said, okay, he just smiled, you know, and, uh, and he, was, he was one of the boys, and he didn't have to be. He didn't I'll, have I'll, to be. I'll share one final thought, uh, that I'm, I am a very emotional person as a person, and yet I've always kind of been embarrassed by the fact that I, that I am emotional and I've always been able to stifle it and control it. And, um, I, I, I openly cried two times in my life. One was the passing of my father and the other was Bruno. Yep. Yep. That's why I couldn't talk to JJ when he told me what happened because I was, yeah. I was in tears. I was in tears, but, but there's, there's Night another thing that, that we're alike about. So, you know, uh, hearing you guys reminisce about your friend is is really awesome, and I, and I really appreciate getting to be a part of the, the conversation. Like I I had no opportunity to meet him, um, so in my mind, I'm thinking about some of the other great figures that have come and gone, and the one that I think pops to mind the most that the stories I'm hearing from you guys are kind of similar stories I've heard about this person. Uh, and he's he's a one name or two, Arnie. Arnold. Arnie. Palmer. Oh, Arnold Palmer. Yeah, yeah. That's the uh, you hear the same Arnold things about Palmer. Him. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. All right. Well, never mind. I mean, no. I, well, we can't compare it. We did. We never knew Arnold Palmer. We we, we knew oh, no, it wasn't. We, saying, we knew it saying. wasn't Arnie Scolan. You stumped me on that. I was going to say Arnold Skolan. I think he owes me some money, but anyway, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah, yeah, you do hear good things about Arnold Palmer. You know, we know who he was, uh, but you know, you have to you have to uh, understand that you know we we had a personal relationship with Bruno, and and it was special. It was special for somebody that was a wrestling fan like we were, and got into the business like we did. Uh, so you know what? Uh, like JJ said, we're both pretty emotional guys. Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 you know, I still think about Bruno and get choked up sometimes. I really do. Well, you know what, Davey, comes with the territory. You know, you, uh, you spent a lifetime of, uh, of memories with this man and made a lifetime of memories. But fortunately, you'll, you'll be able through podcasts like this to have your memories live forever. Yep. Yep. Well, and that's, that's what good. we do here. And at least you were lucky well, enough to have those opportunities. Absolutely. That's for sure, Mike. Absolutely. Absolutely. You redeemed yourself, Mikey. (laughs) JJ, Davey, thank you so much, gentlemen, for being here. Um, Tell you what, folks, there's only one Bruno. That's uh, that's it. You don't need to say any more. Never before, never again. The myth legend, Bruno San Martino. The living legend. He will always be the living legend. Take care, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, for, uh, for J.J. Dillon, for Davey O'Hannon, Mike Kelleher, I am Psychic Medium Angelo. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Wrestling with the Future is out and over. Bye-bye.